You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and fully loaded chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. What's up, everybody? I I don't even know why I'm laughing. I'm the only one in my office right now, but I wanted to throw this warning out to everybody who's about to listen to this podcast, and that is this is by far the deepest myself and a guest ever get into the waters of bullshit. We go really, really, really deep in this episode, and I don't know what to say other than... um, I'm sorry, <laughs> I guess. Well, we have a lot of fun. So here's here's the concept, right? A while back, I had Tony Peterson on, and we talked about the movie Point Break. And there's a quote in the movie Point Break, fear causes hesitation, hesitation causes your worst uh, fears to come true. All right, so we, we spun that, and we went into you know how if you hesitate, you get into... Um, problems in the whitetail woods with strategy if you you hesitate implementing your strategy well today we're gonna we're gonna talk about the movie predator with arnold schwarzenegger and carl withers and a couple other uh juiced 80s actors and we're gonna talk about how the movie predator can relate to whitetail hunting strategies and it gets crazy i'm not i'm like we talk about hunting strategy in here. We talk about setting the, the whole baseline here is setting a trap for whitetails, just like Schwarzenegger uh, does at the end of this movie uh, where he sets a trap for the predator and eventually um, drops a giant tree on his head. But uh, we spin it, right? <laughs> so we talk about all of the, the, the ways you can trap um, uh, a whitetail into doing exactly what you want him or, or the deer to do. And uh, that's all I'm going to say. 
because the rest you just you just have to listen to it. There's I can't there's no other intro that is going to do this podcast justice except for uh, there are some explicit there is some explicit content in here uh, and so it's marked on the podcast uh, but just in case you have some children in here it, it gets a little silly is what I, I'm going to say about that. So Today's guest is Tony Peterson. The dude is a slayer, and that's why he's on uh, the podcast. All right, but we're going to do some commercials real quick, and I'm going to keep this short. All right, so today we have Ozonics. Um, if you guys haven't, uh, if you guys haven't checked into uh, in Ozonics yet, please do so. I'm a huge uh, fan of using ozone to uh, kill the bacteria and the odor on my clothing and my down uh, downwind scent scent profile. I guess you'll call it. Uh, so for me, it is a, it's a multitasking device. It's not just something that use that I use in the tree. It works in the tree. It also works in the garage or wherever I uh, hang my clothes and I put it in the, the closet or I put it in the a dry wash bag, run a cycle, and then I put it back on before I go back out into the woods. And there are times when I play the wind, I have excellent access. I get into the tree and I, I feel invisible and when you when you have those feelings and that confidence going into the timber then guess what happens uh, you're able to sit in a tree stand multiple times before burning it out uh, and that's why I love Ozonics so visit the Ozonics website uh, ozonicshunting.com and when you enter the, or when you go to purchase one of their units enter the discount code NFC21 and you're going to get a free dry wash bag with the purchase of one of their units. All right. Next is do, 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 Lone Wolf. Lone Wolf's on my back everywhere I go. Right? That sounds like a that sounds like the hook of a rap song. Lone Wolf on my back everywhere I go. Okay, maybe not, but <laughs> but uh, it, it it is it is a piece of equipment that is it's my go-to. It is, it is the biggest piece. It's the, probably to me, one of the most important pieces of gear that I have. I mean, it allows me to get in crooked trees, get in crooked trees quietly. It allows me to set up in the, the right tree, not the close enough tree. And you guys hear me talk about this all the time. So at, at this point, I'm just beating a dead horse. If you are looking to go mobile with a hang on tree stand and sticks, you need to check out lone wolf portable tree stands okay so and i'll just i'm just going to give you the discount code 9fc21 and so if you purchase anything over 200 dollars, enter the discount code 9fc21 and you're getting 50 dollars off of that purchase so well worth it if you ask me uh, that's like a 25 percent uh, or 20 to 25 percent saving on sticks it's like a 15 to 20 percent discount on stands so take that into consideration uh exodus trail cameras man i'm starting to get uh i'm starting to get the trail camera uh the the cell cams are starting to pick up a little bit more movement here we are towards the end of September more and more and more movement and I'll tell you what man it's uh, I got a couple shooters on camera now I'm pretty excited uh, to get out there or to to get out there and go hunting but at the same time not get out there and go hunting right because I'm not saying that a cell cam is going to send you everything that's going on in the woods it's just going to send you what's going on right in front of that trail camera 
but it can give you an idea of when the movement is really picking up and you, you, uh, you mix that with the right wind or uh, a front of some sort or just maybe free time and you say, you know what, I'm going hunting tonight and uh, you know where to go or where not to go. So uh, exodusoutdoorgear.com, take a look at the lift, take a look at the trek, take a look at the render, which is their cell cam. They got a solar panel that goes along with some of that stuff. So, um, and, I'll, and I'm gonna end on this with Exodus trail cameras. The cameras work. You turn them on and they work, period. And that's all I want my trail cameras to do is work. I don't wanna have to fidget with them. I wanna turn them on and I wanna leave with the confidence that they're gonna take pictures. There's that, uh, Excalibur crossbows. So my favorite, uh, me personally, I don't hunt with a crossbow. I can't in the state of Iowa. Um, that's, uh, there's some restrictions for, I guess, regular, uh, you know, like youth, um, elderly, uh, people with disabilities. And then in other states, right, you can use a crossbow. So. This commercial is based off of me learning about the company, okay? Me talking with some of the uh, previous owners, me talking with the people that work there, me knowing that the customer service is on point, me knowing that this crossbow is damn tough, right? You should go check the videos out uh, online where they drag it behind a four-wheeler or throw it off of a corn crib or... um, uh, run it over with a vehicle, I believe. And then they put a bolt in it and they shoot it and it's dead nuts, right? So it's built. It's a high quality build. It's durable materials. It takes a beating and it still performs. And that's what you want with really any piece of gear, especially the piece of gear that you're using to kill an animal with, right? So you can drag it through the woods. You can be hard on it and it still performs that on top of the people aspect of it just a great company with a great product so if you're looking for a crossbow i strongly suggest taking a look at excalibur it's it's not an over engineered crossbow with all these crazy bells and whistles it's uh it's a crossbow that gets the job done period and uh, they have some crazy new uh, technology in the twin strike. Take a look at that. And I believe their website is excalibercrossbow.com, but you can just Google Excalibur crossbows and it will pop up. So there's the commercials. Thank you for uh, taking time out of your day to listen to those. Please go out and support the companies that support uh, this podcast. And uh, now it's time to get a little crazy with Tony Peterson. Three, two, one. All right, back again, Mr. Tony Peterson. How we doing, man? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you? Oh, I tell you what, I just got back from a Nebraska hunt that, and, and it's it's my own fault. I, I should know better, right? September hunting, the first 30 minutes of the, of the morning where all the movement happened, and then the last 45 minutes to an hour of movement in at the end of the day and then nothing to do in the heat you know what I mean just like twiddle your thumbs all day long waiting for this total of two hours basically throughout the entire day to hunt um so like how do you motivate how do you motivate yourself for these hot September hunts dude it's that's that's one of the hardest things to get over and it, you know the mule deer thing is an interesting one i'm sure you guys saw this like or you saw this like 
we we think mule deer you just go out glass you bet them down yeah you know you wait you wait for the right conditions and you get in and you know like if it doesn't work you pick those deer up the next day but if you're hunting breaky stuff you know if you're not hunting like a high country basin in in colorado that that game doesn't really play out very well a lot of times yeah. like you you know you lose them in the folds in the terrain and then like you said it gets freaking 100 degrees in the middle of the day and those deer are not visible. It's not like you can just sit there in the spotting scope and just easily pick them up or even right. give them three hours and pick them up. And so it's it's one of those things. I, th- I think it's a good message to get out there. I know it sucks to go through it, but mule deer hunting is as varied as whitetail hunting. Yeah. Even though we kind of just in our heads, especially if you live in the Midwest or the East and you haven't been around them a lot, you kind of think, well, I'm going to go do this typical mule deer hunt because they're mule deer. And man, if you're in breaky terrain, it, it's just a different deal a lot of times. Yeah. And so you got to, what I do now for those is, I, you know, I play that early and late game like you're talking about. And then I try to just get myself on a water source in the middle of the day. So I'll just go try to ambush them in the banker's hours and read a book and eat a sandwich and try not to fantasize about jumping in front of a train because yeah. it's horrible. Yeah. And just try to make the most of it, you know, and you might pick one up at 10 o'clock in the morning that comes up to, you know, get a drink. It's a, it's a low odds deal, but at least you're not sitting in camp. Like, why am I doing this with my free time? Yeah. yeah it was tough because we were hunting in that, um, in that type of terrain where we would even see them come off of the, you know, so we had, we had this, we had them pegged in the morning, right? They were coming out of the same drainage every single day last 30 minutes uh, or the first 30 to 40 minutes of light but then they'd hop down into the big terrain and the big terrain the tops were clear but then they drop right down in the bottom yep. to get out of the heat uh, and to get out of the the wind and so down there i even walked down there it's like 15 degrees cooler in these bottoms but you can glass them up you can glass them until they hit a certain point and then they just disappear. So what we could do is we could go down there and try to find the water and we could try to find the deer, but all we're doing is bumping them, sending our scent all the way down and it's ruining their daily circuit so that the next morning it would be a risk if they, you know, we bump them further down and they go on private and all this stuff. So we had to be very careful and it was basically just set up on the mule deer in the, in the mornings and then set up on the whitetails in the afternoon because the mule deer were not moving until after dark, uh, in, in the afternoons. So, uh, we played that game and I got close to a couple whitetails. Um, and then the trip's over and you, you head back home. So, uh, I'm just excited to get back to South Dakota in a different terrain where there's not that, those brushy draws. So you can yep. actually, glass them up you can actually see them and you can actually make a move on them all all day long so yeah you know those i i've hunted a lot of stuff like that yeah and it's really made to be hunted like october 15th right you know it just it just is you know you get cooler temperatures and it, even when they get into those brushy draws you know they'll move around a little bit more and might be a little more visible and give you something to work with but i mean i think i, I i'm sure you saw this but I think mule deer hunting, a spot and stock mule deer hunt, if you have low standards and and some deer around, is probably the most fun you can have. Oh yeah. But it can it can also be some of the most frustrating, disheartening hunting 
because you you can just feel like you're absolutely out of the game. Right. Like that doesn't happen with whitetails that often. I mean, it can if you're on public land, it gets just piss pounded. But there are situations with mule deer where you're just like, I have it's like elk. Like yeah. you you'd just be sitting there and you're like, I have nothing going on right now. Like no confidence in any move I could make. And it's it's tough, man. Yeah. Yep. So let me get before we jump into today's topic, I want to talk, I want to ask you one more question about going out West, right? Whether it's mule deer or elk, we have these opening days like September 1st or, uh, even like further into September for whether it's a mule deer or a Western whitetail or, um, uh, even elk. We still have archery seasons up until this, these November timeframes, uh, and, and for me personally, I, f- I feel that a lot of the pressure dies off around, just like you said, that mid, that mid, uh, October timeframe. And that's why I'm going to South Dakota the third week in October this year, as opposed to the, uh, first couple weeks, I'm going to potentially be de- dealing with some colder temps and some, some random weather, but I'm going to be dealing with a lot less people. Is that what? Is that what you see when you take your your Western trips? Big time, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I plan most of my Western trips around how can I be around as few people as possible. And, you know, when you're camping, the, the early season hunts, they sound so good. You know, it's I kind of look at it like, you know, I've, I've got twins, right? And everybody's like, oh, man, I always wanted twins. I'm like, that's because you don't have a freaking clue what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, like... You love the goddamn idea of having two kids at one time, but you have no concept of having two infants in your care at the same time. Like, you know what I mean? And so people go, man, I'd love to shoot a velvet whitetail or I'd love to go on an early season antelope hunt or an early season mule deer hunt. And it's like, yeah, like the idea of it is freaking sweet. But a lot of times the implementation of it and the actual like process is so hard and I'm not talking about just like the hunting difficulty. I'm talking about just keeping your head in the game when you are sitting there in your camp at one o'clock in the afternoon and it's a hundred degrees and you have nothing to do and you've got six hours before there's even a a whisper of a chance that you might shoot a deer. It's just, it's tough, man. And so to manage all of that and and on top of that, you know, you've got people road hunting all over on the the early seasons and and running around going guerrilla warfare style out there. I just, I want to get out there when the conditions are just a little bit better for camping and the people probably won't be there. Cause you know, like that place that you hunted, I saw some of those pictures you posted, like man in the right situation with cooler weather and fewer people, you're going to pick up deer in that stuff often oh yeah you know it's not you're not going to lose them the same way i mean you know you might have similar travel patterns and stuff but their visibility so you have that working for you and if you have kind of the right mindset because you're not miserable in camp and you're sleeping well like you're going to have a better hunt all you know all around yeah oh by the way i this has nothing to do with deer hunting but you mentioned uh, people have no idea what they're talking about i remember when i was back in the cubicle life and I would bring up, you know, my three children and, and some dumbass would say, Oh yeah, I know exactly how you feel. I have two dogs and I'm just like, <laughs> shut, shut your mouth. Cause I'm going to hit you. I, yeah. I have never hated a group of people 
so much in my life than I do with pet owners who compare their pets to humans. I wish I could hit my kids with newspapers and put them in a cage all day long. I wish I could do that. I can't. I could kick your dog and I could get away with it, but I can't, I can't like throw my kid outside and take a shit. Like I, I, I I hate those people. I hate those people. Uh, I do too. (laughs) I'm trying to get to the point in my life where I just accept those dumb statements (laughs) as people who just don't know. Right. And, and I'm like, I feel like I'm in a transition in my life where I'm like, I, I'm not as aggro as you sound right now, but I get pretty fired up over yeah. that stuff but i'm trying to just be like they're just idiots they don't know what they're talking right. about they're special needs and... they're special needs treat them like special needs just <laughs> well, like oh that's cute okay not bye see you later yeah it, i mean it's we it it really those kind of statements just they really make you think like people are so caught up in their own little world a lot of times yeah that they can't even consider you know and we're all guilty of it right but right. like they can't even consider like what other people are going through you know we do this in freaking everything. It's not just kids and idiots who think a dog is the same thing. I mean, it's like I, I, I sat in on some uh, some meetings with the DNR when they were the, the Department of Natural Resources up here when they were they were trying to, like, develop a deer plan. Right. So they'd have these public input meetings. Right. And I, I went to some of them and, you know, the, the folks at the DNR are standing there and they're going, OK, well, we're looking at managing you know, this, this part of the state this way and this part of the state this way. And you're talking a giant state, right? Minnesota is a big state and very diverse. And every person raises their hand and says, well, on my 40 acres, yeah. I see this or on my 80 acres, you know, we have more does than you, you know, like you guys. And it's just like, Jesus Christ, guys, like they're managing <laughs> hundreds of thousands of square miles. And you're talking about 400 yards by 400 yards that your grandpa owns. Right. That you, you know, you know what I mean? And like, it's just, Ah, I, the last one I went to, I was like, never again am I going to put, I don't think my blood pressure can handle it. Right. Like, yeah, I I had a, I had a, I had a job interview, um, once. And when I first got the job, I interviewed with a guy, um, and you know, you say whatever it takes to get hired, you know, like I'm a people person. I will, I'm the best part about me is I, I work well with anybody and I can, you know, synergy and la 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 la, you know, and then here I am this hardened person, uh, at the, my end of my, uh, my, my time at this cubicle job that I had. And he goes, um, so what are your, uh, uh, you know, what are your strengths or whatever? And I go, I'm going to be completely honest with you right now. Um, when, when I first got hired, you asked me, what my, my, my strengths were. I said I was a people person. I am no longer a people person. I do not tolerate <laughs> dumb questions. I do not tolerate dumb comments or answers to those questions or lazy work, blah, blah, blah. And he, I got hired <laughs> because it was probably the most, <laughs> it's probably the most honest thing he's ever heard uh, in his life. So, uh, so that's the kind of person I like. I don't have, I don't have a lot of friends. I don't want a lot of friends. I just want to like watch football deer hunt and like, play catch with my kids that's that's yeah. all i want to do in life can i so let me ask you something about your bride then okay does your does your bride uh try to play matchmaker with like her friend friends husbands and be like dude you should hang out with joel or oh, yeah. whoever Some, my, sometimes dude sometimes my wife my wife does that shit to me yeah and she'll be like oh man you know Addie's husband and his friends are gonna go play frisbee golf today and i'm like like have we met before <laughs> Like we've been, we, we've been together like 20 goddamn years. Have you ever heard me like 
it make any <laughs> reference to like the fact that I might frisbee be interested golf. in playing freaking frisbee golf? Uh, well, um, like, and then what what I get all the time is, oh, your husband, your husband hunts. My husband hunts. Maybe they should go hunting oh, together. Yeah. And I'm just like, listen, I am on a whole different level. If if I went hunting with this guy, I would ruin him and he would never want to hunt again. Yeah. Like I'd be like, scent check. Come on, buddy. What are you doing? Wind's over here. We're going to do this. And this guy's probably just some, I bow hunt four days, four days a year type of yeah. guy. Oh, you know? dude. <laughs> yeah. I've uh, been there. Same. Th- my one thing, you know, bow hunting is like people who know what bow hunting is don't usually offer up acquaintances right. to accompany you. You know I mean? Like yeah. if anybody who has a clue what goes into bow hunting, they're not like, Hey, take this random dude. Yeah. Do you know where that happens a lot? is freaking bird hunting. Like if you, if you have bird dogs, like I do, people will be like, Oh man, I, I hunted pheasants last year. I should go with you. Or my wife will be like, you should take this guy. Yeah. I'm like, I'd rather masturbate with sandpaper <laughs> than take a freaking stranger out on. Can I say that? Yeah, dude, you can say whatever you want on this podcast. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't even fathom. It's it's, yeah. it's my nightmare anyway. Yeah. yeah I that's get it. the, that's the fastest way to accidentally get shot. <laughs> yeah, dude, my earrings all the time because one of my really good buddies who I trust a lot made a mistake and he shot at a grouse that flew over us right by my ear six years ago and it still rings. Oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a guy I trust. Like, yeah. he's, he just screwed up. Yeah. Like, now you want me to go with some, uh, no way, Nobody. some rando? Yeah. Nah. Yeah. Well, Check this out for a pivot or a transition into the next topic. And that—that that is the movie Predator. <laughs> you doing all right, buddy? Uh, dude, I'm not on any drugs right now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know why that was so funny to me, but... but do, you, do you know that is something you can't say on Mark's podcast? What? That you would rather masturbate with sandpaper. Oh yeah, well I know I knew that. That's why I said it. Like there's, <laughs> he has he's big time. He's got the guidelines. I don't have any guidelines, right? So, whatever. Uh, <laughs> shout out Mark Kenyon. Um, <laughs> so, um, so anyway, there. Uh, I the last time we talked about the movie Point Break, right? And what what did we talk about? We talked about. Uh, uh, hesitation in making your decisions yep. out in the woods. So there's two parts of the movie Predator that I really want to focus on. By the way, how, do you, are you a fan of the movie Predator? Oh my god, dude! It's such a great movie. Yes, yes. Yeah. So like I was t- like I was telling you before we started recording, whether there's five minutes left in the movie or I'm five minutes in, whenever that movie comes on, I watch it the whole time. Like I watch it till the end of the show. And the best part was back in the day on TBS, it would run like sometimes back to back, like from 10 to 11 and then from 11 to midnight. And so if I picked it up halfway through, I would just watch the first half of the movie, like second, if that makes sense. (laughs) So like, I just, I, dude, I love, I love that movie. And so the other day it came on. And it was this, there's two scenes that kind of triggered me. And I'm always thinking about whitetails now. And, and we did that other podcast uh, about Point Break. And I'm like, okay, what can I take away from this movie that may be relatable to, to bow hunting? And there's two scenes. So scene number one that I want to talk about 
is the all-in gun where like 10 guys pop out the the first uh it's like right when carl withers arm gets blown off and the other guy picks up or no jesse the body ventura he gets hammered through the chest so then his his buddy picks up the gun the machine gun from the helicopter and just starts blowing the entire jungle away Arnold Schwarzenegger comes and all these other guys come and they're just unloading thousands and thousands of rounds into the, uh, into the, the timber. That's strategy number one to try to kill the predator. Strategy number two comes at the end of the movie where Schwarzenegger sets a trap. He's, he's got all this information. Like if he covers himself in mud, it's hard for them to see. He's setting up all these traps like booby traps and springs and snares that are going to, you know, swinging logs and all that shit. And I thought light bulb, Tony Peterson, another podcast (laughs) idea. (laughs) Let's talk about setting traps for whitetails. And, uh, before we were recording, you, you said, I have, I have a perfect example of this for setting a trap. Now I want to get into yours first and then kind of break it down, like break down the second part of it because I think that might be more relatable to people who are just hunting by themselves compared to hunting with a nine-year-old. So break, break, first off, set the stage uh, of what happened this past weekend with one of your daughters. Yeah, man. If you want to set, if you want to learn how to set whitetail traps, take a nine-year-old hunting (laughs) because you, you know, it's such a, when you're very used to being mobile and kind of scouting on the fly and just, you kind of freelance your way through the woods or, or you have just a ton of different setups that you've scouted out. It's just, you're, you're in a different world than when you're taking a kid who's, you know, you're 20 yards or under for the shot and you know, you need to not get busted. You need to not get spotted and you need to be where those deer are just naturally going to come through. It takes a lot of mind grinding to really like recognize this is, this is it. And so for my daughters, cause I have two of them and we split them up on the weekends. So I'll take one hunting with me. My wife will take one up North and it's just easier than having them both. And so I, I was like, all right, I got to get blinds up cause we're going to hunt out of blinds. Like I got to get blinds up that give me a couple different wind options that kind of favor the Souths and the Wests. You're going to get early season. I got to be able to hunt mornings and evenings cause they're in school and so you get at most four sits for a, a weekend. So I'm not going to sit out the the morning hunts just because, you know, that's kind of conventional advice. So you got to think like, how can I set traps to get around deer, close proximity, morning and evening, these kind of winds, a couple different scenarios. How do I get in with kids? Cause they're not going to walk through the swamps of Wisconsin the same way we might, you know, Northern Wisconsin. And man, it was it was, it's an eye opener, uh, like procedurally for me to just kind of take for granted what I can do for myself versus what I have to do for somebody else who has low experience. And it really made me think like, it's, it's hard to convey our message of, you know, you, you kill this great big buck and you're like, okay, well, here's, here's what went into it. And you're probably, even if you do a good job of explaining it, you're probably getting like, three percent of what you really put in there you know you're just forgetting stuff because of just you're operating with experience but when you got a little kid you're like i gotta consider 
everything. And I kind of got to build in these backups because I know this is this is going to be a tough deal. And, it, you know, the spot that my daughter killed at was a morning setup. She shot it Sunday morning, shot a nice big doe. And it was just one of those situations where I had a tree row and a swamp close together that would kind of funnel them through. And there was a, a field on the neighbor's property I figured they were going to come back from. And so, and I, I knew we could come in from the opposite side of the field too and sneak along in there. So it was just like one of those situations where you're like, okay, I got pretty rock solid access. It's not super far to hike. The deer probably should be coming back from this way. And if we get a south wind, which we had that day because it was going to get really hot, it was like, okay, this is this is the trap. And we had the lead doe came through and she she picked us off a little bit. But she didn't so wiggy that she took off and my daughter shot her. And it was it was like a good to me. It was a good example of like if you if you're going to set a trap, like you got to consider a lot more than you might think when you just kind of say it, you know? Yeah. So let's talk about the 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 trap itself. OK, for for this this example. And you can elaborate into general terms as well, if you like. But where does like what does this trap look like and you can like i said use this example or others that you have experience with um because setting a trap to me is almost what you have to do every time you go bow hunting yep because you're not mobile i mean as far as i mean you're mobile in your setup but not mobile like spot and stock hunting yep but i i think i think we should just make a like differentiate this just a little bit right because we we might go in and in our head, go, we're going to go set up in this spot. We might kill one here for X, Y, and Z reasons, but we're here kind of to watch, or we're kind of here to like, to like set the stage for setting the trap, you know, like an observation stand, or maybe I'm just going to, I'm going to check out this spot. And it's, it's maybe kind of a different, uh, process a little bit, or maybe the goal is a little bit different, but most of the time, yeah, you're like, why, why would they come here and how can I make it so they don't know I'm here and they walk by within a certain range? And I think, I think in the hunting industry, we kind of have pushed this message that we're going to save you, you know, you could screw this part up, but we'll still save you by selling you some cents or some, you know, calls or yeah. a decoy or whatever. But really, I think if you want to get good at setting white tail traps, you better start thinking about natural movement to the nth degree. Like what's just going on out there on the land you're hunting with the food sources that are there, the the conditions that are getting served up to you by mother nature, how are deer going to respond and where are they going to go? Then if you, if you make an educated guess and go, I think they're going to walk through here. Now your job is like, how do I put myself there to not, you know, not blow them out not get busted going in and to have them within range, totally relaxed. And it's, you know, that, I mean, like that's, I'm kind of simplifying it, but you're right. Like that's the trap that you're trying to set every freaking time you go in the woods, just about. Right. So natural, natural deer movement, right? You have, you have to do that. How do you identify natural deer movement? Man, you know, it's this, it's the same way. Well, let me put it this way. You're always thinking like the why, why would they be here? Right. Is there, you know, there's trails all over in the woods. You know, you live down in Iowa. I bet you every freaking woodlot you walk into has trails. Yeah. But which ones are the ones that matter now? Yeah. Well, where's the soybean field? Where's the bedding area? 
Where's the water source? Like, where can they feed where they're not visible from a gravel road? Where, like, all of this stuff starts to narrow down those options. And you go, yeah, this trail, no thanks. Yeah. That one, maybe. Because now I can see that this is connecting two things that I think are real important to the deer. And they might come back filtering through here because they can feed out there and nobody can stop and glass them. Nobody can shine them. They're just, they're, they're going to be more comfortable. And so you start factoring that stuff in. You know, I mean, it's, we, we, we have really kind of sold this message that it's like, oh, bed to food, food to bed, which is kind of true. But every individual situation has so many variables, you know, unless it's really set up nicely. You know, I mean, you can find like a Western river bottom that might be pretty cut and dry. And even then, you know, like you, you got other things coming in. But for most of us, it's like what matters to them today or what's going to matter to them in two days as far as their safety, their food, their thirst, whatever. How does that factor into what you know about the woods or what you know about this fence line or what you know about that crossing? Like there's actually a lot to it. Yeah. So in the first part of that movie, right, that they they're they're trying to kill whatever it is they think they, they're not sure what it is yet. Right. Um, so they're standing in this line of guys just blasting the the timber with uh, all this firepower and I translate that into a real aggressive move right off the bat to try to uh, kill this thing do you feel that real aggressive moves right off the bat where you're where you're you're putting all your eggs in one basket and I, and I don't mean being loud I don't mean being um, like edgy in your in your strategy but going in for the kill right away is that the best thing to do when you may not have all the data? Like, would you hunt that same way on an out-of-state trip as you would at a local farm that you have um, more access to throughout the entire year? No. And I, I I think, you know, when you when you start Predator, you got all these roided-up dudes who are like <laughs> specimens, right? Like, right. none of those guys are pissed and clean, right? Like, right. they're all failing the test. <laughs> yes. And so those guys have a lot of confidence, right? Too much probably until they encounter something that kicks their ass and they don't understand it. And so I think I, I've been wrestling with this idea a lot in the whitetail world. Like I think confidence is crazy important. Yeah. And so when you, when you talk about the, the dichotomy between four days on the road somewhere on some public land versus hunting home at home on, on private land, let's say, you, you're going to approach those differently. And, and I think the mistake a lot of people make is at home, they go way conservative, right? Because you got all the time in the world and, you know, you don't need to push it. You can wait for the cold to come in. You can, you can let things, you can let it breathe until it's right. And I think sometimes we miss our opportunity because we get too comfortable with that. And then the other end of it is you go on this trip and you're like, I got eight sits. I got four days or five days or whatever. And you're like, I got to go, 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 go. I got to go in and look at this. I got to go in and do this. And really, in a lot of those trips, if you kind of hang back and you play it safe a little bit and you start watching and start getting, you know, like, what's what's the vibe here? What's going on? That that sets it up for when you can really move in and kill. And so I think finding that balance is it's you're only going to get it from experience. Right. There's no you're not going to read an article that I write and be like, oh, now I get this. Right? Because it's so it's so highly variable. And so you always got to think like, 
should we should I just be balls out going after this right now? Am I that confident in this this freaking pattern that's going on and this the conditions and all this stuff? Like if you're if you're believing in it, I, I'm like there isn't too aggressive. Like if you're if you're like, I think he's coming out here in this corner of the field tonight or they're going to go through this crossing or whatever. If you're like the conviction is real high. I might go because it's, you know, trust your spidey senses. But if you're not that confident in something, a lot of times it's best to make that plan around your confidence and go, I think he might show up here. The conditions would let me get, you know, 100 yards away and be safe. Play play that. Listen to that because it's important. Yeah. And you made a good point when you were talking about confidence there because it's like on my out-of-state trips – you go into a area that you may have never hunted before, or you don't currently know what's going on in that area. So it takes a little while to build that confidence. So I, for me in my Nebraska hunt, I was having more confidence towards the end of that trip as opposed to the front of the trip, just because I had more Intel on that spot as every day went on and on and on. So I became more confident towards the end of that trip. Now at home, I'm equal. It's almost like I'm equally as confident throughout the entire uh, the entire season, but more so I would say in the beginning because I've hunted these farms for 13, 14, 15 years, and I know what the deer are doing. I just have to be in the right spot at the right time when something that I desire comes through. So it's almost like as the week or two weeks goes on in the rut and I'm not killing yet, then I'm, I'm actually starting to lose confidence and I start to struggle with that instead of me going, man, I know where the deer are at. I'm going in right now. I'm going to kill them Two, you know, a week, eight days go by and I'm like, Oh shit, what's going on? What am I doing wrong? You know what I mean? Oh, yep. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's go ahead, go ahead. All right. So, all right. Um, so the trap itself, right? So obviously, you know, you have to set a trap and you have to be thorough in your access routes, um, where the deer, you got to be confident in where the deer are coming out. So your nine-year-old could be in the best possible position because you're, you, you have limited limiting factors there. Now, if Tony, by the way, are you Schwarzenegger or are you Carl Withers? Um, or know, or Jesse the that, body, like if you well, were I was a character, Mark. I think Mark was Jesse the body because he's like that guy you see coming. You're like, ah, no way, this. dude. I I'm gonna disagree with you 100. percent Is Mark the Asian chick? <laughs> you said it, not me, man. You said it, not me. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I think you're Schwarzenegger. I'll be honest. Okay, I can live with that. Yeah, I I think you get the job done. I think I am, I'm the bald guy who starts blasting in the woods, uh, the bald black guy. I, I forget his name, but he just mows oh. everything down, but he actually gets close and he hits the deer, uh, or he hits the, he hits the predator yeah. and that's where they Dude, say, he was you know, so good. Yeah. If he bleeds, we can kill it. Right. Yep. So that's, that's anyway, Mark, I'm, I'm guessing he is, he's Carl Withers. He gets his arm blown off and eventually dies just like I do, but he's the office type, right? You're, you're on the ground, boots on the ground type of guy, if that makes sense. And that's no, that's no 
that's no disrespect to Mark because someone's got to be the pencil pusher. And by the way, Carl Withers is jacked in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody yeah. is It's like, it's, it is, it's a frat house of, of meat in that, in that movie. So it's like, uh, it's that movie when you really think about it that way, that's like one, one little turn, like wrong turn away from being just a gay porn, isn't it? <laughs> Just, yeah, yes, it is. But I'll tell you what, I'll be completely honest. It was that movie right there that made me want to do steroids. I never did steroids, <laughs> but I was really close. I'm like, Jesus, man, just think of all the chicks these guys get. And if I had muscles like that, I'd get chicks too. And, you know, that's not a bad way to think of it, but all the, the, the long-term damage that those types of steroids, because I guarantee you those guys were taking like horse not like yeah. GNC steroids, but like thoroughbred horse racing steroids. Yeah, they you know, were they were juiced to the gills yeah. on stuff that probably <laughs> still has repercussions to this day. Exactly. How Arnold Schwarzenegger is alive today, I have no idea. No idea. I don't know. Maybe you know, you know what I think it is. This is a total weird. I think because that dude still works out. Yeah. You know, like and he, like he's not a young fella anymore. No. And I think. Even even with the just crazy shit that he shot in his body to look like that, he had amazing discipline for his health. Yeah. Other than that one thing, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. so I think I think that that carries you a long ways if you have that as like, you know, it's still his lifestyle to just work out, and it has been that way for like fifty five years probably now. Yeah, and so I think other than the hiccup with humongous amounts of you know, horse hormone, you know, growth hormone or whatever in his system, you know, he's, he at least made some right decisions. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, there's that. <laughs> yeah. Steroids. Whatever. Yeah. Anyway, back to the regular. Like, what the fuck? Is this, a, is yeah. this a hunting podcast? Right, I tell you what, it, it's refreshing. I'll be honest with you. It's refreshing to have these conversations, even though they're not deer related, because I talk about the same things so so often with people i love the curveballs the the caveats you know i don't really care about the one-star reviews that people leave me where they're just like get to the point i don't got all day like i'm sorry in your five minute commute from wherever you work to the you know for, to home you can't cover a, an entire topic in that amount of time i don't know whatever so hey, uh, you know what i want to do with those guys give them a one-star review what? Give them a one star review. I want to I want to start a reality TV show where you take these these idiots who, you know, they listen to two minutes of something and they leave a one star review or the people who are just like so prolific on shitty comments on YouTube. Yeah. And I just want to go to their job and review them all day long. <laughs> And just be like, oh, do you really think you washed that car that well? Look, there's freaking dirt here. Right. And you didn't clean out this cup holder. Right. Or, you know, like in the insurance office, like mm, you slid that into the into the policy, huh? huh? Try to rip this guy off and just be a <laughs> dick to these people. Yes. I, 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 I thoroughly agree that there are people in this world that deserve to be shamed. And this, you know, that goes against the golden rule of treat others like you would want to be treated. But I do feel that that would really... If I showed up to one of these guys' jobs and I just looked at him and go, now what? I'm right here. I'm right here. Now what? Say it to my face. Right? They go, well, I didn't mean it that way, Dan. You know, like, huge fan. Love the podcast. It's like, so, uh, you're a douche later. And, like, I don't know, maybe throw a milkshake at him or something. I don't know. 
That's an ending I did not see to that story. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just the whole time you were you were going down that rabbit hole, I did not see you sipping on a milkshake. <laughs> Me with a burger and a milkshake just going into someone's office and talking shit to him for 30 minutes. And then I've had enough and throw the milkshake. You're you're so confident when you're going to go fight somebody that you stop at freaking Dairy Queen first. (laughs) I love it. I'm having fun on this podcast, uh, by the way. Yeah. This this series that I'm doing with you is is very fun. I think we should do more of them. Um, (laughs) Uh, Definitely. All right. So, uh, setting a trap for whitetails without your without your daughter in the mix now right now it's time to go out and slay some shit what are you doing differently or um time of year wise whether it's september october november breeding season you know pre-rut post-rut whatever late season how how do you feel a trap should change throughout the year in in reference to deer movement Oh, yeah. Well, maybe like let's outline what doesn't change, right? Yeah. Like we kind of already talked about the access and some of these things we've just we've beaten to death. Like you know you have to have them in place, and so it for for me, a lot of the stuff as the season progresses is just picking up that concentration of deer. Where'd they go? You know, and it's it's different if you're on a a private chunk like you talked about that you know really well. It's like the there's a constant amount of deer there, whatever that is, or, you know, maybe you got an interloper that comes in or a big buck that shows up during the rut, but like generally you're working with deer that are there. And in my world, I'm, I'm hunting a lot of public land. Right. And so the place that they're, they're at this week, they very well might not be really concentrated there in two weeks. Yeah. And so it's sort of just like, what can you work with now? And if that's dying, like how quick can you recognize it and, and pick those deer up again? You know, and it, I'm, I just think about this stuff so much like, you know, fishing wise or hunting pheasants or whatever, like they're all of these things kind of share a similar process when you're dealing with hunting pressure where it's like what they should be doing, like in a textbook world, they might not be doing here. And like, how quick can you recognize that and try to figure out what happened and where they went? Because you, you're still dealing with, you know, deer that are there somewhere, but they're just not in the same, you know, like they might not be in the same valley the same way, or they might not be using the ridge the same way. Or, you know, if you're in a big wood scenario with a low density, those deer might be 800 yards away in a different clear cut. And it's like, how do you, how do you go about finding them? Yeah. So it's. It's like I've come to, at least for my personal hunting, and I I think this is probably like relevant to a lot of your listeners, is just not get married to my ideas, like not fall in love with this spot or the the fact that it's October one, and I have to be doing this or should never do that. It it, you really kind of get to the point where you're like, okay, I I always want to be around deer, and I always want to feel like I'm in the game. So how do I how do I make that happen? And you fail a ton. Yeah. But if you're still looking and you're still open to it and you, you see this in your out of state trips, I'm sure you go, they're going to be here. You know, you're e-scouting. You're like, they're going to be in this Valley. They're going to do this, or they're going to be in this drainage and they're going to do this. And then you show up and you're almost always wrong to some extent. Yeah. Like they're, they're not doing what you, th- and so you, okay, you're already adapting. Now, if you take those meal deer and you walk in there and you blow them out, all right, you got to pick up a new concentration of them. You got to you got to go 
to plan B. Whitetails are the same way. Like you, you go in there and you fall in love with this idea and you like, maybe you have a great hunt, but you blow some deer out and you get caught and whatever that pattern's already dying on you. So what, where are they going to go next? Like, yeah. what are you going to do next? And that's, that's kind of in season scouting. And it, one of the things that I should say there to kind of adapt that way, trail cameras really don't do you a ton of favors. Like, generally because you're kind of working in the past already and even if you're working on cell cameras it's still it's still a different thing to me than walking in and seeing the right sign and a a trail that's torn up and these fresh rubs that are showing up and it like an an obvious concentration of deer usage yeah is it laying eyes on that is a vastly different thing than checking your camera and having some good pictures if, if that makes sense yeah it does yeah that's uh that's the truth there. So being like setting a trap for something like that, that thing, that deer needs to be caught off guard, right? It, 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 it can't expect you to be there. So let's say a guy is having some trouble, uh, throughout the year, or let's say, let's just, let's go to the most popular time of year. It's the rut. He's having trouble locating maybe deer period or a shooter, like a mature buck. Um, how, how can we put ourselves into position to not only locate those deer, like what you just said earlier, but get into a position where they do not expect you to be like they could, cause I, I've, I've seen it before where I've, I've had a terrain feature that is just, it's worked, right? The, the rubs are there. The signs are there. The, 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 uh, the, the trails are there. The does are there. Maybe the bucks come through nocturnally or it dries up in five days and just shit's not moving in there anymore. So I go like I learned a long time ago. Sometimes you just go somewhere and set up and lo and behold, that's where the deer movement is. And now you have them caught off guard on a whim, right? So how, how do you know where to set up to get them to be not expecting you to be and, and just them feeling comfortable and then you slay. So you're you're talking about you know when you say they're surprised you're there. The other way to say that is they're very confident that you're not there. Exactly. And that's that Same matters. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it so this this comes up a lot with people who are like legit big buck killers, right? It's like I was in a place where that deer had all the confidence in the world that he could smell everything and see everything, and he was confident. And right, you see this man when you when you get into a good staging area that a buck is using and he's confident it's in the cover and he's got the terrain on his side and he's got the wind on his side and his eyeballs on his side. You watch that buck and he's, he's got swagger and it's not like dominant buck, you know, kind of like eye rolling swagger that you'd think like approaching a a decoy. It's just, you watch him and he looks confident. Mm -hmm. Like he's just, he's got that air about him, that body language. He's, he's in charge and he's not worried. He's yeah. cocky. Yeah. Like this is, this is his safe place. And this, this is one of the reasons why a lot of hunting for a lot of people is really hard yeah. because if you hunt pressured deer or you hunt like low density deer with a lot of predators around in the big woods, you're, you're dealing with a, a already a smaller population of, of deer and you're dealing with deer that are just going to be more on edge generally. So you're not going to, it's, it's harder to find this particular type of scenario where you have this mature buck who's like, 
this is my spot. Nobody's here. Nobody's going to shoot me. Nobody's going to eat me. I am, I am in my element. But when you see it, it's like kind of obvious. And then we, we tend to, because we don't have experience with that a ton. Like it's, it's hard to rack up a lot of experience with deer in those scenarios. We tend to introduce calling or some other thing that changes the dynamic and we screw it up instead of letting it just unfold. And you know, like if you see that buck in a staging area and he's not close enough, but he's got that confidence about him and he makes a rub here and he might, you know, maybe he beds down for a little while and he gets up and he goes and nibbles on this before he takes off for the evening. If you don't mess with that deer, you kill him tomorrow. Like yeah. that's, that's the deer that just comes back because he's like, this is my spot. If the, as long as the conditions don't really change on you, but that's like, you know, that's almost always going to be in the cover. That's almost always going to be in a place that really gives, you know, you, you got some kind of ridge top or something that gives him like real confidence in his travel. Like he's, the wind's coming this way. He knows nothing's over there. He can bail off this side. He can see ahead of him. There has to be stuff like that working for him. And really like that filters down. We talk about mature bucks all the time, but that filters down to does that are protecting their fawns. Yeah. And to, to a lesser extent, smaller bucks, they make more mistakes and they, they're, they're occupying sometimes a less favorable ground, but deer do what deer do for a reason. And so how they travel and how they bust you and how they don't bust you, that, that stuff trickles up. So if you, you know, if you have a little two and a half year old or something come through and you know he might not have that swagger about him, but if he's if he's using the wind that way and he's he's hanging out in this spot until dark, like that tells you a lot. And so you know you started that by asking about you know like how does somebody if they're not really on deer start to find this, and you know, then you kind of let into the mature buck thing. But really, if you can't find this for does and little bucks, you're not going to find it consistently for big ones. Fact. Like. It, yeah. There's just a way to work yourself up. And I mean, you you can get sort of a a boost to that if you're in a really great spot. Like you can kind of leapfrog some of these steps if you have a really great spot to hunt. If you don't, if you can't get around decent deer concentrations of relaxed deer that aren't busting you and are moving through naturally and you're, you're preserving that movement, if you can't do that with just general deer, finding a mature buck, to, to play that game with is, is really difficult and and doing that consistently is really difficult. Yeah. Out of curiosity, you mentioned something earlier about big buck killers, right? And a lot of people like me, you're on this podcast and you're on the wired to hunt podcast and you've been guests on all these other podcasts because people think that you, and you've shown that you're good at what you do. Okay. So out of curiosity, who do you think is really good at what they do as far as big buck killers? Well, I think one of the, I think either one of the best or the best hunter in the country might be Eddie Claypool. Okay. He's, but he's Eddie, Eddie is a Swiss army knife, man. Like he, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's elk, if it's antelope turkeys, that dude is it like let me put it this way you want to talk about predator like if eddie claypool was hunting you in the jungles of southeast asia you might as well just slit your wrist now buddy because you're toast <laughs> you're done <laughs> yeah you're toast. i don't care how many roided up uh future governors you've got on your side <laughs> it, 
it doesn't you're toast um as far as like you know some of the whitetail hunters i just yeah. have a ton of respect for you know andy may is way up there yeah when i when i talk to him i'm just like that dude's just thinking about this stuff he's just at a different level man yeah um you know zach from the hunting public he's another one he's kind of a goofball but i love him and he, when you talk to him he's just he he does something he does a couple things so well that everybody can learn from and you know the first is like he just found his style mm-hmm. and so he makes it work wherever he goes and he shows people you can do this no matter what doesn't yeah. matter where and he's just leaning into what he likes to do which is feeding his success yeah and he's having freaking fun at it yeah you know like one of the one of the things that just got me so jaded for a while about the hunting industry back when I was way more involved in magazines was I dealt and, and TV shows is I dealt with people who were like, there was no, they weren't having fun. Yeah. Like this, they were just like, you know, they were killing huge deer all over the place. And yeah, you see them at a show or something, they're putting on a smile and they're, they're playing the part, but you talk to them and they're not having fun. And it's like, geez, man, <laughs> like, yeah. That sucks. Like, I want you to enjoy this. You're you're freaking hunting rabbits with antlers here, man. This is supposed to be enjoyable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Um, there's so many, like, there's the, some of the guys that you mentioned, right? And there's others out there who it just clicks. And you can have a thousand podcasts and listen to them. And it won't mean a thing because there's this click that some people will get and some people will not get uh, in their life. And it, you can't, you can't teach it. You can't read a book about it. You can't, yep. it, you either just have it or you don't. Sometimes you can get it, but you can't, I can't, I can't put out a podcast and, and, and have a listener go, I got it now. This is the, I've, I've listened to this <laughs> or I've read this or I've watched this. And now I have this. It's, it's impossible to, it, that's impossible. The only way you can do it is to teach yourself it or learn it through mistakes or whatever. But there are other guys who are really good. And like you said, Andy May, man, like it, it's almost like they got radar in their body, deardar or whatever it is. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you know, those, those guys share some, some of the people I respect the most who are just getting it done out there. They just share common traits. Yeah. You know, like. They, they love to work out. They love to be in the woods. They are just, they're disciplined. I mean, and, and they have, but still have like this sort of openness to this freelance style of just like, okay, well, like they, they just handle adversity. Well, maybe that's the best way to put it. Right. And I think, I think that's again, kind of what you're referencing is it's just experience. Like how can you, how can you shake off, you know, missing the biggest buck of your life unless you've done it. Yeah. Or, you know, just blow an encounter or having three weeks where you just get your ass kicked and your home life's falling apart because you're, all you're doing is sitting in a tree and it's just not working. Like, how can you shake that stuff off if you've never been there? You know, it's, yeah. it's tough. Yeah. So Schwarzenegger in the movie has a couple aha moments that leads him to like, first off, it's number like the, the one where he's covered in mud, right? And it comes out of the water. And it can't see him. It just walks right by him. Okay. He has, he has that aha moment. But then when he's setting up the trap in the end of the movie, he, he has a trap, but then he has a trap within the trap, which is almost like a fail safe. And that's what eventually kills or, you know, incapacitates the predator. Um, so my question to you is 
should there should there always be a backup plan to any strategy or should should uh, should a guy like and I don't, I don't mean like in general uh, as far as a um, a season is concerned but let's say you're you're uh, the example I'll provide you is um, you move in on a buck and you you're really confident about the spot but you also know that hey a deer deer just don't show up where a guy hunts all the time should you have a backup plan off of that strategy and how do you make that backup plan? I I think you should, I, I think anyone listening to this who isn't, you know, who doesn't have the last name of Drury should have, <laughs> should be obsessed with backups. Yeah. Because I mean, just think about, think about how often, you know, you, you, you look, you pull up the weather and be like, okay, it's a Southwest wind tonight. I'm going to this stand because they're going to be on this green field. The wind's going to be perfect. And they start walking out of there. You get out of your truck and you're like, oh man, the wind's really not blowing that way. Or, you know, you get so many people listening to this and be like, yeah, you get there and there's a truck park there or, you know, like just this stuff goes wrong so often right away. Like before we even get a chance to suit up and go into the woods, something has changed our plan. And sometimes you can just push through it. A lot of times you probably shouldn't. Or, you know, you get up into a stand and the wind switches on you or you see something or it just there. There's so many things out of our control that that affect this, our decision making from like minute to minute in, in the moments leading up to the hunt. And then when you're actually hunting. And so always knowing like, what would I do? You know, like what, what's going to happen if I go out there and there's three trucks parked here, or I, you know, if I get out there and this, this plan I've got is not right. Like what's, what is, what, what, what am I going to do to save this night or save this morning? Yeah. And it, that's hard, right? Cause we get, we get married to the, the first idea and probably that's not even that good of an idea. Like as far as just like the end result of killing a big buck, but it's the best we got. Now we're going to go a step lower and be like, this isn't even the best I've got on a plan that probably wouldn't work. Like, but that's what you got to have. And you, you really learn that lesson when you start traveling to hunt where your time is super limited and you just like in your heart, man, you're like, I don't want to miss a second of this. Yeah. I want to make, I want to make the most of this, but this dude just drove right down the river on a four wheeler and blew everything out. So now what? Yeah. You know, like it, it, you gotta, you really gotta be thinking about that. So I, I, I write about this and talk about this all the time, but really like consider your options and your backups. And this, this is why scouting is so important. You know, it hanging stands and having a mobile strategy at the same time, super important because if you don't have those options, you'll push a bad program or you won't hunt. And those are worse options. Yeah. So this is kind of like the, the same as, uh, you know, the, the old adage, first time in best time in, but do you think a trap, if a, if that a shooter deer doesn't show up, uh, like, do you think that trap will work for him the next day or the next day or the next day? Like how, like how, how long are we waiting for this trap to work? Uh, this time of year, you know, if it's before the rut may for me personally, maybe two sits, maybe just, it depends if I, if, if the confidence is still there, cause you're right. Like sometimes they just don't show up and you know, you might, 
you might just get a mulligan and come back the next day and he does show up or somebody else shows up. And that's, you know, it's different in my, I don't, I don't really hunt specific bucks hardly ever. Like I'm, I'm hunting for maybe a specific type of deer, like a specific class or caliber. But when you, if you, if you've worked on this stuff and you're like, okay, whether there's this specific shooter in here or a buck that is leaving sign that leaves me to believe I'd be real happy with him. You go in there and it doesn't work like somebody else might be there or he just might have gone and ate acorns over there. Something else happened or a grouse hunter came through. Who knows? And so it's like, where's the confidence at? But if that deer, if, if I personally give that deer that spot like two days and I feel like the conditions were good and my approach was good and I didn't I didn't really screw it up it's time to keep looking. And you know, the one exception to that for me would be if it's like November 3rd and I'm on a pinch point or some kind of bottleneck or funnel that I'm like, it's just going to happen here. As long as the wind keeps letting me get in here, I might ride that out. And And that's the one time where I will become married to a spot if I really, really believe it. And even then sometimes you're like a hundred yards off, you know, you get, two or three days in there and you're like, every buck has gone through that spot, not this spot. Yeah. And so you might make a little adjustment, but generally you've made the right call by being super confident and reading the terrain and going, yep, somebody's coming through here and it might take four days or six days, but that deer that's going to make me happy, he's going to show. Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, I think a lot of this, a lot of it just has to do with patience a lot of it has to do with um, the ability to understand what you need to do in order to make it all go down, right? And yep. uh, again, you know, like the all the conversations that we've had so far, it comes down to experience, learning from failure, and being to uh, being able to implement a plan, um, and it being able to implement it as as perfectly as possible. And again, that com- that itself comes with with uh, experience right you can't just yeah. walk in walk into a i'm setting a trap for a white tail here tonight it's gonna happen eh, it didn't i'm gonna go cry you know like all that stuff so any any last words before i go downstairs and watch predator <laughs> uh i i would just say you know maybe just to piggyback on that last the the last sentiment there would just be like don't be afraid to try new stuff yeah like if you you know, I mean, it, okay, like in in this theme of setting a trap, if I set a trap and it doesn't work for three weeks or an entire season or five seasons, which is not like, it sounds like I'm being facetious, but I'm really not like we, a lot of deer hunters do the same thing over and over and over and over again, year after year after year, and they cross their fingers and once every seven years, a, gr- a good one walks by and, you know, they shoot it sometimes. Like if you've got something that's not working, try something new, go someplace new, like work on a mobile strategy and get out there and take some risks and see if you can figure this out in a place that's not something like not somewhere you're super, super comfortable, you know, like that one ladder stand that's on the food plot. That's great. It's like an easy, easy default setting. But if you haven't killed a good buck off of there in five years and you really want to kill a good buck that trap doesn't work. Right. Like it's the, the evidence is there. Maybe, maybe go try something different. Maybe he's, he's got you so pegged 
that you need to sneak in, saddle up, and go 100 yards back in the brush and not be anywhere near that nice little clover plot and play him where he's confident and give him something different, try something different. Because what do you got to lose? Yeah. If you if it's not working already and you're and you keep pushing it, what's the point? Yep. Absolutely, man. Well, Tony, man, uh, really appreciate you again taking time out of your day to not only uh, talk whitetail strategy with me, but uh, a little nonsense as well. I think uh, I I know I enjoy it. So. Uh, oh yeah, buddy. Yeah, thanks, and uh, we'll have to get together again and uh, think about what the next movie that uh, has no no uh, meaning for whitetail hunting and make it about whitetail hunting. Yeah. As long as it's a badass 1980s, maybe early 90s movie, then yes. Maybe like Bloodsport or something with Van Damme in it. (laughs) How how the Kuma Kuma can relate to the rut. (laughs) Hey, so speaking of Van Damme. Oh, here we go. Where did I... So... Do you, do you follow the, the Wall Street Bets subreddit at all? Do you uh, pay attention to that? No, I don't. So it's pretty hilarious what people post on there. And somebody posted a clip from a Van Damme movie where he was dancing. Yes. And it is so freaking funny. Is he in white pants with suspenders? Yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, that is, that's Kickboxer, I believe. And he, he fights Tong Po. That's the the villain in the movie who, uh, uh, yeah, I know exactly. And me and my brother, uh, every, this is going to sound crazy and you probably won't believe this, but every Thanksgiving we get into a bottle of whiskey and we do that dance. <laughs> we do that dance and we do also do the, the uh, um, blood sport where he goes to the Kumite and when he gets uh, powder thrown in his eyes, uh-huh. He uh, he goes. He puts his palms over his eyes, and then he brings them out, and he's going. Ah! We do, yeah, that, we uh, do that a lot. We do that a lot too, uh, and that just proves to you that you should never listen to a thing that I say ever. <laughs> I gotta admit, when I brought up that dancing clip, I didn't think you'd have such a deep history with it. <laughs> oh, it's deep. It's real deep. It's like high school <laughs> dance moves. Like if I want to do impress a girl on the dance floor, I'm doing that dance. And uh, has that worked out for you? No, uh, never. It never worked. But I, hey, yeah. like you said, sometimes traps take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and there you have it, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Huge shout out to Tony, man. Uh, we got we got weird there for a little bit. And uh, sometimes I need, uh, personally, I'll be honest with you, I need that. Uh, because there's times where you just get into the routine of asking the same questions. So when I'm able to get out of my rut and go crazy on an episode, it just makes me able to come back on the next episode and uh, just be better at my job of asking questions and breaking down deer hunts. So uh, thank you very much for taking time to listen to that. Huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles, Hunt Stand, Vortex, Wasp, Broadheads, Excalibur Crossbows, uh, Exodus Trail Cameras, Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands, and Ozonix. Again, please go out and support those companies. It is time to get out in the woods. Please be safe, right? Please um, don't do anything stupid. Don't hurt yourself. Wear your safety harness. And remember, this this time of year is, is what we've been waiting for the entire rest of the year. So, 
Take a deep breath. Enjoy yourself. Send good vibes out into the world. Good vibes are going to come back. And we'll talk to you later this week. Thank <music> you.